guys. We have people from all around the world. So I think it's a little bit awkward sometimes when I say good morning, because there are a lot of you who, uh, you know, you're not, it's not morning for you. So it's just weird that I'm saying good morning because for some of you, it's good night, good evening. You guys are about to go to sleep. Um, this is your nighttime reading. For some of you, it's your lunchtime reading. For some of you, this is your morning reading. For some of you, this is your early, early, early morning reading. But I'm just grateful that you guys are all here, that we're here engaging in the word together. If you're here for the first time, this is the read and rant. What we essentially do is, is we spend about 20, 30 minutes in the reading of the word, and then we spend another uh, another 20 or 30 minutes in reflection, what I call a rant, since I've got nothing really prepared, only to hear what God has to say today um, in regards to what we have, are reading in the scripture. What is the Lord inspiring us today as we read his scripture? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to commit this time to the reading of the word. And uh, we've been journeying through the, New through the Old Testament. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, and now we're in 2 Samuel. And so that's what we're doing. We're going to engage. We're going to, uh, we're in 2 Samuel. I believe we're in chapter 6. Please, somebody make sure I'm right on that because I don't want to skip anything. Uh, but I believe we're in chapter 6. So anyway, uh, this is a different setting. It's a different environment, but I, I wanted to commit to it. Um, even if I'm out of town, I'm making every effort, even when I travel, I want to make every effort to commit to our time in the reading of the word. So good. All right. We're in second Samuel chapter six. Um, and we're going to be reading verse one. I'm going to pray to get started. And then afterwards, we're going to get moving. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you've given us this privilege to come together to read your word. Father, bless us in this time, Lord, as we engage in your scripture. Father, I just ask that you would inspire us today. Lord, inspire us in your word, Lord. Convict us, Lord. Correct us. Um, guide us. Lord, reveal to us the goodness of your grace and your mercy towards us. And Lord, reveal to us your mission, your plan, and all that you intend for us, Lord. We just believe today, Lord, that we will find encouragement in you and in your word. And so, Lord, be present in this time together. Father, we have people from all around the world right now, people engaged from all around the world who are coming together to read your word. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would meet each and every one of us exactly where we're at, Father. Uh, we're bringing ourselves into proximity to you through the reading of the word. So, Father, draw near to us as we draw near to you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get it. Let's get it in. Let's do it. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I will be reading from verse 1. And it says this, Then David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him in Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, and Uzzah and Aho Ahio. The sons of Abinadab drove the new cart, and then they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, on fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. 
And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah till this day. Ah, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? So David would not move the ark of God with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And I was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Sorry. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it on, set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And David finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a, a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of the, of the servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his household to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will even be more undignified than this, and I will be humbled in my own sight. But as for my maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. There's so much there to unpack. Second Samuel chapter 7. Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, who will build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, 
Thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people, over Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and you have cut off all your enemies from before you and you have made and I've made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the son of, of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the bows, with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established. Let me read that one more time. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I remove from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight. O Lord God, and you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of men, O Lord God? Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant for your word's sake and according to your own heart. You have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, and to do for yourself, sorry, for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. 
so let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. 2 Samuel 8. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Metheg, Amma, from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line, and with two lines he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hedadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, and he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also David hamstrung all the chariots' horses, especially that he spare, sorry, except that he spare enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to Hedadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hedadezer and brought them to Jerusalem also from Beta and from Berothai, cities of Hedadezer. King David took a large amount of bronze. Then Toi of Hamath heard that David had defeated all the army of Hedadezer. Then Toi sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hedadezer and defeated him, for Hedadezer had been at war with Toi. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he dedicated from the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made for himself a name. When he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt, he also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David reigned over Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was, was over before the Serethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief 
ministers. I'll read one more chapter. Chapter nine, verse one. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame at his feet, in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, where is your servant that you should look? Sorry. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba. Saul's servant said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belong to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work in the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and and Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame at both of his feet speak to us in this time lord uh speak to us you know it's always interesting when you take a look at this portion of scripture it's 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 interesting to me how a lot of us when we approach it we approach it with a uh an academic perspective we often approach it simply looking at the historical narrative, but we're not understanding the spiritual implications of the historicity of this text. Often when we read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, we're going to read 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. We, we read these books as if they're history books not realizing that there's a lot of history, right? There's a lot of history to write about. And there's a lot of history that's being articulated here. But there's a lot of history that isn't. There's a lot of history that isn't being talked about here. There's a lot of history that isn't uh, 
that isn't shared here. And the reason why is because the purpose of it was not to articulate history. Find that, you know, I think when, when we categorize portions of the scripture, usually we categorize Genesis, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as the, uh, the Pentateuch, right? Those five books, the Mosaic law, some people call it the law. And then after those five books, you have Judges, you have Ruth, First Samuel, First Samuel, Samuel, First Samuel, Kings, First Samuel, Chronicles, and so all those are called the historical books, the history. And I think that's a uh, you're diminishing the value of what's being shared here, because if you look at it as a history. Well, what's the purpose of studying history? Well, the purpose of studying history is to learn what had transpired, to learn from what has transpired, so that informs why we're where we are today, and that now informs as to where we go moving forward. We learn from the past. We learn from the history. But not all history is shared. Even the history books that you read, that you've read in school, haven't been shared. Right? In the United States, we suffer from history that is revisioned call it revisionist history. It's revisioned because history also tells a story. And I think that's the part that we sometimes, uh, we don't realize. Like when we read history, we simply read it for the facts. But we're not reading the author who wrote the history book to know that history tells a story. And sometimes the story that history tells isn't true. Oh, sometimes the story that history tells isn't the story. And sometimes history can tell you a lot of things that are true, and yet the story that it tells isn't. Ah, the times when the facts aren't facts anymore. In the United States, we, we suffer from revisionist history, right? where there were things that weren't told, things that weren't shared, things that weren't said, things about our ugly past that haven't been talked about. We teach Thanksgiving as if it's, you know, we know, we, we know. I'm not going to get into all that because that's not my, the purpose of my time here. The purpose of my time is not to talk about the revisionist history in the United States, especially since there are a lot of you here who aren't even from the U.S. and maybe you know, maybe you don't know. But we have a dark history. And yet, even then, the history that we read about, it's not that the history isn't true. It's that the history is revisioned. And so because the history is revisioned, there's a story and a narrative that the author who writes the history is trying to articulate to the people reading it. Is everybody understanding what I'm saying here? What I'm saying to you is, is that this is not a history book that you read at surface value. As a matter of fact, to be a good historian is not to simply get the facts, but to know where the facts are coming from. Because once you know where the facts are coming from, you'll know the agenda of the person who wrote the facts. You know, in the same place, when we, and the only reason why I brought up revisionist history in the first place is because the people who wrote the history in those history books have had an agenda to suppress the ugly history of our racial past, but to also to suppress the beauty of 
the diversity of our nation and the diversity of our country and the beauty and the gifting of all people, be it black or white. So yes, we didn't share all the great inventions that black people shared or that the that black people created. Yes, we didn't share the contributions of black people to American society, which began from the beginning. We don't talk about the black millionaires. And so we, we the, the black millionaires in the early era, even in the time of slavery, we don't talk about how it was a Haitian man who who founded the city of Chicago. We don't talk about the black contribution to the Civil War. We don't we don't talk about these things. We 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 diminish those things. And so we we studied history. We studied history with a different agenda, with a different mindset, because the authors who wrote that book had an agenda. And of course, now we're going back and we're learning that it's not that there were facts, it's that there were things omitted to those facts. And because there were things omitted, the question is, why were they omitted? There was an agenda. It's not to say everything we read was true, but then it was painted in a certain light. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't study the history that we study today. It's only to say this family, and this is all I'm pointing out to you, is don't just read a history book as a factual book that speaks the history of all things. That the author who's writing the book is writing it with an agenda in mind. Is everybody understanding what I'm saying? There's an agenda in mind because history can't tell you everything that transpired in that moment. We're not going to read about everything that transpired in David's life. We're not going to read everything that transpired in Saul's life. We're not going to read everything that transpired in the nation of Israel. There are certain things that are omitted. Is everybody understanding me here? I'm saying that to say that we're not just reading a history book, but we're reading a history book that's telling a story. We're reading a book that's telling us a story concerning the agenda of the author who's writing it. Sorry, I don't... I, you know, I don't have anything planned, so it's going to sound like a rant. I'm just putting some thoughts together as I'm reflecting on it today. And I'm reading through the story of David, who now has reached the pinnacle of political power. And David, who who now the, the leadership has been transitioned over to him. We were reading yesterday how David now has been coronated as king over Israel, unifying the nation of Israel, defeating, um, conquering Jerusalem, reclaiming Jerusalem back. He changes that name to Zion, who now we're, we're going to have reference to Zion over and over again, the city of God. And so he's not simply calling Israel a nation of political influence, but he wants Israel to be a nation of spiritual influence because God is doing something through David and God is writing a story through David. So now, so now we see David at this place where he's he's arrived. <laughs> David has arrived. David has arrived. But we don't hear everything about David. We don't know everything about David. And we didn't know everything about David's story. And we didn't know every detail about, about Saul's story. We don't, we don't have every detail about Samuel's life. We don't have 
but we have certain elements of the history that the author has said to put in this book because it was important. There are certain things omitted in this book, which you may find in another book, but what was kept and what was omitted was based on the agenda of the author who wrote it. Are you, do you guys see where I'm going here? I say this to you because I don't want you reading this book as simply a book that just tells you a bunch of facts about history, but I want you to take a step back and a step away and say, there's a reason why this is here. There's a reason why we're talking about this. There's a reason why this particular story is in this particular part of the text. There's a reason why this is in here. And to understand the reason why it's there, you need to get to know the author. You need to know the author's agenda. That's right, Amy. You need to know God's agenda. In the same way revisionist history in the United States was a product of a white supremacist agenda. <laughs> the revisionist history in the scripture <laughs> is based off of the agenda of the divine author who wrote, who wrote it. We need to know the story and we need to know what story the Bible is actually trying to say and trying to speak about. This is a story that goes beyond David. You know, when we read the story of Abraham Lincoln, let me give you an example. If you read a biography on Abraham Lincoln, you can read and learn much about Abraham Lincoln, but understand that his name and his story goes way beyond his name, but the story goes is on the backdrop of a grander narrative, right? right? His story comes out of a grander narrative of a great division in the United States and he being called at that particular moment and at that, that particular time to bring unity to the nation. We know about Abraham Lincoln, not because of his brilliance, but because of the work that he did to bring justice in America. Abraham Lincoln was not a perfect man. No one says it, but Abraham Lincoln did something that brought justice to America. We read about the stories of Martin Luther King and we, we hear about the great things that Martin Luther King had done and, and Martin Luther King. I mean, he's everywhere, almost every, you know, in every large city, on every street in the United States, there's a Martin Luther King Boulevard. It's funny how we point out Martin Luther King's shortcomings, his, his imperfections, not realizing that Martin Luther King is not known to be a good man. He was known as a instrument of God to bring justice in America. It's funny how we want to diminish the work that God does through something simply by their character. It's funny when we look at the things that people do and we look at the, you know, the, the character of the person, the countenance of the person, the, 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 the sins of that person. It's easy for us to point out those things, not realizing that he's not known for being a perfect person or being a good person. 
He was known for simply being one who submitted to the heart of God and the mission of God. He was an instrument of God bringing righteousness and justice to the earth. I say that to say we often look at these characters as humans, not realizing that the reason why they're in this story is because they are instruments of God. David is an instrument of God. We're about to enter into a portion of the scripture where we're going to begin to see David, you know, his shortcomings, and we're going to see him fall, and we're going to see his character flaws. And and so we're not here to celebrate David. We're here to talk about the bigger story. <laughs> we're here to talk about the bigger story. Case in point, we, we just finished reading 2 Samuel chapter 9. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see David reconnecting with Mephibosheth, which is kind of interesting to me because when I think about it, we didn't. We, this is not the first time we've seen the name. It's not the first time that we saw Mephibosheth's name in the text and in the scriptures. We've seen him before. Recall at the time when Saul, when Saul was experiencing demise in his kingdom and David was rising quickly in the kingdom. And as David was rising and as Saul was falling, we heard about a story of a lame child. His name is in the story. He was there from the beginning. We've heard about him before, and now he's re-entered into the narrative of the scripture. He's re-entered into the narrative of the text. And the question is, is why is he here? I mean, why is he here? Has anybody sat down and thought about it and said, well, why is Mephibosheth here? He's here because he's part of a story. He's part of the grand story. He's part of the grand narrative. This lame child whose father has died in battle, whose grandfather has died in battle, who the history of his family has been tainted and tarred, who now after experiencing, after their king, after their rule has declined, this family has been marred. The entire family has been eradicated. If anything, you should know is that when the son of a king dies or the son of a prince dies, usually he dies as well. He's at risk as well. And yet here we find that Mephibosheth, this lame child who came from royal bloodline, re-enters into the narrative of the scripture. And David calls for him. He's part of the story. Are y'all catching where I'm at? Is everybody getting where I'm at? <laughs> Is everybody getting so? Therefore, if there's any detail in the scripture, we have to ask the question: Why is it even there in the first place? Well, I mean, why is it even there? If you read any history book or any bi biography or any study of history, you have to ask yourself: Why did the author put it there? It's not just that it's there. There's a reason for why it's there. There's a story behind the history. There's a bigger picture. There's a grander story. There's a bigger narrative. And I think often what we do is we simply look at the characters. We study the characters. We get something out of what happened to the character's life, but we don't realize that this is part of a bigger thing. In, in 2 Samuel, what we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're beginning to see now a picture of what that bigger story is. That this was never about Saul. This was never about David. This was never about King Saul. It was never about King David, but it was about a king that was to come. Whew. 
I'm glad you guys are getting this. Because we see this culminate right here at this point. Second Samuel chapter 7, we get to this part of the text, this portion of the scripture, and we look at the scripture, and here it is. David's having um, an, an encounter with Nathan. He meets with Nathan. Nathan comes before him, and Nathan prophesies to him. David has this deep desire that not only should Israel become one of political influence, but he wanted Israel to be a nation of spiritual influence. He understood the calling of the people. He understood the calling of his people. He understood the promises that were made to Abraham from the beginning, from Abraham chapter 15, when God told Abraham that he would institute a family and this family would bring restoration, would bring righteousness and would bring justice to the earth. He knew that he was a part of that story. David knew that he, that these people were being called and set aside to do what? To bring the righteousness of God on earth, to be the priest, to be the mediators on earth, to stand before God and man, to reveal to mankind and to the world what God was like. This was the nation that God was establishing on earth. It was his kingdom. God from the beginning has always been about his kingdom from the beginning of time, even from Genesis chapter one, when he says, when the scriptures say that Elohim said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. You have to understand that when he said, let's make man in our image, we take, we take being made in, in an image of God as simply being um, some sort of picture of God, but being made in the image of God is something so much greater that being made in the image of God was the activity of the particular thing that was being made in the image. It was embodying the presence of God, embodying God himself, but imaging God in our living, in our acting, in our being. God wanted to rule the earth, and the way that he rules the earth is he rules it through mankind. God wanted to institute righteousness and justice on the earth. Everything that is broken in the world, everything that is wrong with the world, be it pestilence, be it disease, be it violence, be it wars, all the things that we see today. I mean, we're living in a horrible time right now. We're seeing all kinds of division. We're seeing unrest. We've got Haiti. We've got Afghanistan. We have all these. And if anybody asked the question, where did it come from? It came from the rule of self rather than the rule of God. And yet what God was seeking to do was to establish his kingdom again on earth. And so he wanted to do that through mankind. Everything that is good on earth happens through mankind because God is instituting his justice through mankind. And everything that is evil and wrong on earth comes through mankind as well. The enemy doesn't have any authority until we give the enemy authority. And Adam did so by simply submitting to the temptation. He succumbed to the temptation of self. Eve was not tempted with just the fruit, but Eve was tempted with herself. Said you will be like God. So David understood the assignment. David understood the assignment. Saul wanted to establish his kingdom. David was called to establish the kingdom. The story about Saul and David, the contrast between the two of them is part of the greatest story of what God is articulating to us in the scripture. This was never about a kingdom. This was always about the kingdom. So David now sees this, this this, this portion of land that has been given to them, that has been set aside for them to be the nation of priests that bring righteousness and justice to the earth. And so Jerusalem would not be a nation from, from, from the inspiration of the Spirit of God to David, that Jerusalem would not be a nation of political influence, but that Jerusalem would be, sorry, not Jerusalem, sorry, 
that that Israel will be not not a nation of 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 political influence, but of spiritual influence, and that Jerusalem would be where the presence of God would find permanence. So he said, I'm going to build a house for God. Up to this point, we've been, we've been on a road trip. We got to the land, and up to this point, the house of God that represented the presence of God was a tent. So now I'm going to come here, and now that we finally if we have this land for ourselves, we're going to build a house for God. David says, I'm ready to build you a house. Why? Look at verse seven. Where have I have moved about with all the children of Israel? Nathan prophesying to David, inspiring David. He says, wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from from following the sheep to be a ruler of my people over Israel, the assignment. And I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you and I've made you a great name like the name of great men on earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more previously. Since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people, Israel, and I've caused you to rest from your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. David was a part of a story. David has been compelled by the prophet Nathan to institute and to initiate the building of a house for God. And yet God responds to David in this particular portion of text, even through it, that while David is compelled to build a house of permanence in Jerusalem, God says to David, look at that verse again in verse 10, sorry, verse 11. Since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you, He will make you a house. This wasn't about God making a house. Sorry, about David making a house for God. This was also about God making a house for David. I'm almost done. Did you, did, you, did you catch that in the verse? Go back and look again. Verse 11. I commanded judges to be over you. I'm going to get there in a minute. Also, the Lord tells you he will make you a house. Hmm. God isn't looking for us to build temples where he can reside in. Matter of fact, later on in the text, we're going to see in Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, 
that God does not dwell in temples made with man's hands. And so while, God, so while, while David is compelled to build this house for God, God is trying to tell him that I'm making you a house. <sighs> I hope you guys are catching this. This is, this is powerful, guys. He's not making a house for them. He's making them a house. He says, also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. He, he, he didn't just say, I want you to build a house for me. He said, my plan was to make you a house. From the beginning, now notice what he says. He says, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. So this was before David. This was before David. If we're talking about judges, since he said, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, this is before Saul. Since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people, this is before Ruth. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people. He's not just talking about David. He's talking about his people. And he's talking about his people since the time that he had called them and brought them to this land, that what God wanted to do was reside in them. God didn't desire to live in a temple. God desires to live in us. Hmm. I think sometimes we kind of gloss over that and we lean over that, but we don't realize that this narrative now is beginning. We're beginning to see the agenda of the story. The agenda of the story is not to give you a bunch of facts about the chosen people of God. The agenda of the story is about how God is instigating a story about how he's bringing us back into his presence but that he's preparing us to be the place where he resides. God wants to reside in us. When your days are fulfilled, verse, verse 12, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and, he, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house. He's telling David, watch this, David, you want to build a temple? but I'm not calling you to build a temple. Yes, yes, there will be a temple that will be built for me, but it's not going to come from you. It's going to come from someone after you. What I want, David, is to make you a house. I was doing a study with uh, our partners last Saturday about the temple and how temple thinking 
in the church particularly, has suffocated the power and the presence of God and God's people. It's temple thinking. And so I did a full, a little bit, I mean, part study. I didn't do a full study because there's so much to teach about that. But we did a little reading and bouncing around scripture and a study of scripture to explain that the temple is not something that's constructed and built, but that we are the house of God, broken stones. We're not going to church, to a temple to worship God. We are the church where God resides. The church doesn't even become the church until you show up to the building. It's funny how we look at church as a bunch of bodies in a temple. When what we should be looking at church as is a bunch of temples in the body. He wants to build you a house. You don't go to church. Where you are is the church. He resides in you. So if you're at home, in bed, you're in church. If you're in the living room watching TV, you're you're in church. If you are, you know, if you're in the bathroom taking a shower, you're in church. You, you don't go to church. You are the church. The church goes with you everywhere you go. God resides in you. The people who wait to go to the temple, to pray, to seek God, to speak to God, to talk to God. Since when? I know we don't, I know we have to do a whole, maybe we'll make that one of the Bible studies with our patrons. I might do that. I might do a Bible study with that as well about the temple and about the church and about who we are and what we're called to be, the ecclesia, who we are called to be. We don't go to church. We are the church. God doesn't want to make, doesn't want you to build a house where he can reside. He wants to make you a house. And we're going to see this narrative and this tension over the next few weeks as we read about David's rise. And we're going to see David's demise. And then we're going to read about Solomon. And we're going to study this thing, this temple, and what's happening with the temple, not realizing that even in the building and the conclusion of the structure, the construction of the temple, that we're still left with a tension. So God wants to make you a house. Now, if God's going to make you a house, guess what he has to do? He has to remodel you. You ever moved into a house? Once you get in, you make it yours. You go in the house and you fix it up. You paint the walls. You, you look around. And you go, okay, I'm going to put my couch over here. And I'm going to put the TV over there. And, and I'm going to put the seats over 
Okay, I'm going to put the chairs over here. Ooh, I, I want to put stools over here. You know what? I think I want to remodel the kitchen. We're going to do we're gonna do white granite top. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think I, think I want to put a leather couch. And I think, I think, so I, I want to do, and then if you go into a house and it's dilapidated and broken, the person who buys it sees the value in it. And so what do they do? They start remodeling it, fixing up the walls. Some, some of the walls they might have to tear down and, and put new walls back up and they start getting built and put together. This is what happens when you allow God to make you a house. God comes in and he starts remodeling it. You ever seen a house? Even a fixer-upper, a house that remodels itself, or as it's being remodeled, the house is like, ah, I don't really like that. Nope. I'm not really, nope, I don't want that in my life. Nope, I, I don't want that either. <sighs> that is a really weird color. You ever seen a house do that? <laughs> what does the house do? The house receives and becomes the palette for the one who owns it and makes it theirs for their enjoyment, for their glory. So the question is, is will you be a house? Will you allow God to remodel you, to fix you, to make you into what he wants you to be? I've never seen a house remodel themselves. Will you let God do what he wants to do with you. Will you be a house of God? Lord, I just thank you for this time, Lord, as we get in to this day. Some of us are at the end of our day. We're here. Some of us are at the beginning of our day. Uh, there are those of us who are in the middle of our day. We've got people from all around right now who are receiving this today. And I just ask, Lord, that you would but make us your home. Make our heart your home. Make us your house. Dwell in us. Remodel us. Do in us what you desire to do. Tear us down if we need to be torn down. Build us up in the way that we need to be built up that you may see something that pleases you and glorifies you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here as they hear this today to know the Lord that they are part of a story and that you want to reside in each and every one of us, that we don't seek to simply go to the temple, but that Lord, we would know that we are the temple. Let's be reminded today that we bring your presence everywhere we go. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say real quick, guys, thank you so much. Um, for all of you who become patrons, who are supporting the read and rant, that those of you who, um, you know, that have supported from the beginning, who've been giving financially, who've been supporting financially, supporting with prayer, supporting with words of encouragement. I want to say thank you. Thank you so much. It, your words of encouragement push me to continue doing this. This is a commitment that I've made. Listen, I'm on, I'm at a retreat right now. Okay. On the other side of the country. And I'm up 
I think, what time is it now? It's 6 a.m. for me right now. And I do that because I truly, this is my desire and my passion is to see every believer just read through the entire scripture, to see the grander picture of God and, and his people and to know what God has in store for you. And this is really the whole plan. The whole plan is to empower you to read the scriptures and to see how transformative it's been. And for many of you, you've shared how much it has changed your life. It's transformed your life. And that to me, I mean, there's nothing better. I am encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that. And so thank you for the words of encouragement. Thank you for the prayers and thank you for the support. I am excited about where this is about to go next because <clears throat> with your support now, for those of you who are becoming patrons, there's certain thresholds that we're getting to. We're almost at the threshold where we're going to begin to do monthly Bible studies. I'm looking forward to that because there are things that, you know, we're just reflecting on scripture. This isn't a teaching. Um, this is more just a reflection where the Lord is leading in my time in his word and as as we engage in his word together. But I also like to do Bible studies, just spending time and just studying scripture. And so we have a community on Patreon that, I mean, it's growing and I'm grateful for you guys who support. It's $10 a month. Um, but by supporting, it allows me the opportunity to be able to focus more, to spend more time and energy and effort. Once we get to another tier of support, once we get a certain number of patrons, we're going to be able to uh, expand, build out uh, a studio that will allow us to now prepare you know, video content that will... Um, if it's not Bible study, it'll be, um, you know, exegesis or expositions and, and other studies. And then we're going to be, be playing live Bible study sessions. It's also a place where I can connect with a smaller group of you guys, because, you know, I mean, right now on TikTok, it's, it's just, it's almost impossible to stay connected on TikTok because I've got almost 500,000 followers on TikTok. So it's, it's almost impossible to connect with you guys on TikTok. And it's becoming a lot harder on IG as well, because I, I think we're somewhere near, 30,000 followers on IG. So with 500,000 followers on TikTok and 30,000 followers on IG and all the thousands of messages that you guys are sending me, it's almost impossible to stay connected. I know you guys are sharing prayer requests. That's why we have our Facebook group, the font everywhere on Facebook. I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and and join the, the, the Facebook group. But for those of you who are patrons, that's really where I want to go deep. I want to go deep with you guys because your commitment to what I'm doing really, it communicates that we are in this together. And I'm just excited about what we can do together. And so um, you'll see more connecting there, uh, more time of just impartation and prayer and just staying connected there. And I'm, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm excited about what, what God has in store for us um, in, the, in the months to come, in the years to come. And so, guys, I know we haven't reached our mark yet. I just believe that the Lord's going to provide. I believe he's going to give us the patrons that we need to be a be able to expand this. And you guys are the first ones on board. I did this invitation four days ago and to see how far it's gone in just the last few days, man, God is good. And so guys, if this has been a blessing to you in any way, if what we're doing here is in any way transforming your life and a blessing to you, I'd, I'd ask you to consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, it's $10 a month or minimum $10 a month. Some of you are actually giving more than $10 a month, but it is... I mean, I, I love you guys. I will do this no matter what. Whether or not you support, this isn't stopping. We're going to keep doing the read and ramp, and we're going to keep posting them on the podcast. But for those of you who are supporting, I will be creating some additional exclusive content, and I will also uh, be providing you these read and rants real time, meaning right after our 
our read and rant. The, the audio will be edited and posted and you'll get it before the end of the day. So that way you guys get the material. Some of you guys have already messaged me on Patreon saying, hey, I missed yesterday's read and rant. Where's the audio? And I told them, once I get back in town, we're going to get in that rhythm of having the audio already prepared for you as soon um, or by the end of the day on the same day that we do the read and rants. But we still have the read and rant podcast. We still post all of our live read and rants. So unless you subscribe to that as well. I think we're at uh somewhere around 15,000 subscribers so that's great that's cool uh that we're there and so guys again thank you for your support i gotta get going but i want to thank you guys for your support i want to thank you guys for uh for coming alongside the mission that we're doing here i know my my wife vanessa's on she's grateful for your commitment to this and it allows us the possibility of focusing our time our energy and our effort into what we're doing here so um yeah and if you are interested in becoming a patron i just saw a few of you message that if you are interested in becoming a patron just go on the link in the bio um it's it's patreon it's isaac frere on patreon but if you are interested in becoming a patron um and contributing to what we're doing just go on the link in the bio and the first link i said i think i believe it says become a patron just click that link and it will guide you and lead you into how you can become uh, a patron. So guys, thank you so much for the gifts. Thank you for the gifts on on IG and on TikTok. You guys are still gifting me right now. Thank you so much for the gifts. It means a lot to me. It encourages me and uh, encourages me to to press forward. Um, But yeah, I'm going to enjoy the conference. Um, It's been an amazing time over here. The weather is amazing today. Uh, Just amazing guys that were around. And um, yeah, man. I'm looking forward to connecting with you. Thank you so much. See that? Look at Exe. Exe just committed. Thank you so much, Exe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a few of you right now who are coming on board. Thank you so much, guys. I It means the world to me. It really does. And I'm excited. I'm excited about all the new stuff we're going to be able to do with your monthly commitment. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much. Gloria, thank you. Thank you so much, Gloria. Oh yeah, and I will, and I'm gonna message each and every, I'm gonna message you guys personally because I want to be sure it's okay for me to call your names out because I if it isn't that's fine too. But um, I am planning on at least calling out all the names of those of you guys who have jumped on board in the first few days. And so, um, but yeah, thank you so much, Gloria. Thank you so much, Exe. Thank you so much, Catherine. Um, thank you so much, Jim. Really appreciate that, man. Um, so guys. See you guys. Heads up. And again, I'll message the patrons because I can't really message anybody on TikTok. I can't put messages on TikTok. Kind of can do it on IG, but I can't do it on TikTok. But I will be messaging all the patrons tomorrow morning to let you know whether or not we're going to be able to do the read and rant because I have a red eye flight today, tonight, back to uh, back to Fort Lauderdale. So if I get back in time, I'll run over. We'll do the read and rant. And then I'll carry on with the day. So I'll keep you guys posted. I'll pray for safe travels. See you guys tomorrow. God bless you all.